Welcome to the More Beach Meetings podcast produced by Surf Office. I'm Carson Sweezy. The More Beach Meetings podcast gathers the leading voices of the future of work to discuss remote working, company culture, and team retreats with new episodes the first and third Wednesday of the month. This week's guest is Fred Parada, the co-founder and CEO of Tortuga, a remote company specializing in travel products like their award-winning Set Out Backpack. How do you manage a physical product while remote? That's what we get into here, as well as HR questions like why hiring your customers gives you an advantage and the importance of making a human-focused company. Check out Tortuga's traveler-friendly backpacks and more, and use discount code SURFOFFICE, that's all caps, SURFOFFICE, to receive a special deal just for our listeners. You can find that at tortugabackpacks.com. Let's get into the interview. Fred, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Thanks for having me. So what do you mean by creating a company that's not just remote, but that's more human? So we want to kind of take advantage of the strengths or at least opportunities that remote work affords us and try to build a better workplace. Uh, I know plenty of people who they work in a co-located office or used to, like I used to, and the their issues weren't necessarily just remote ones. I think we've all had terrible jobs where we were micromanaged or felt really like controlled or hemmed in. So what we're trying to do is leverage remote as kind of the thin end of the wedge or the 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 way to get into this and then create a place that is more humane and kind of treats people like people as opposed to uh inputs of labor or something. So we try to use remote and have things like flexible hours. We do unlimited vacation. I know some people have had uh, kind of back and forth with that versus a minimum or suggested. But the point being, we, we want people to be able to take vacation and not, you know, one week a year. We try to work along with that flexible hours and kind of setting your own schedule idea. We try to work as asynchronously as possible. So we do use Slack and tools like that. And, you know, of course, we have to sync up for meetings and calls and things. But we try to operate as asynchronously as we can so that then people can spend as much time in in deep work and, and getting things done rather than having their day broken up by five meetings. And then you got to squeeze in 20 minutes of work here and there. And uh, you can really get into that flow and do like big projects that really move the needle for the company and maybe are exciting for you as as a person to to work on. I've also seen a lot of companies, either specific companies or friends, friends and friends, that they work remotely, but probably not in the way like you or I would think of it, and only in the most like strictest definition of it, where, yeah, maybe they work from home, but they also have to be sitting at their desk from exactly nine to exactly five and be available that whole time. Or there are companies that track people's hours kind of like at the desk or do the screen cap kind of software to see what they're working on because they don't trust them to work from home. So I think a lot of that stuff is like the worst version of remote work and it's offering basically no benefits. Whereas we want to hire people that that we trust and we know we're going to do a great job and then give them the freedom to, to do that great work. So how do you create that culture of bringing people in that are, that are open to that? Cause if like, if you've worked in one of those more traditional settings, it might be difficult to, come into um, an office that's communications asynchronous or where there's no set meeting hours or times that you have to work or, or whatever it is or unlimited vacation even how do you how do you find the people that that mesh well with that it's a challenge because too much freedom can be 
hesitate to say a bad thing, but can be hard to manage it all at once and upfront, right? Going from like a really structured environment to suddenly like, do whatever you want, go crazy. Obviously, we want to get things done. So the first thing we try to do is hire people who we think can thrive in that kind of environment. And the challenge there is like, most people don't have remote work experience. Maybe some have worked at a remote company or were freelance for a time or something like that. So those are all good signals, but a lot of people have no experience in that regard. So a lot of times we'll look for people who there are a couple kind of signals, one being that they've done something on their own, showing that they're kind of like a self-starter and can work outside of the confines of their job. Maybe they had a side project. Maybe they had a podcast uh, about something they're interested in. One thing that you mentioned on your blog post is, I love this quote, every company says they want to hire self-starters, but we have no choice, which is so true for remote companies because they have to hold themselves accountable. And it seems like in that same blog post that your employees have become, your team members have become these remote work advocates. There's a part at the end where they're all talking about what they like most about it and whatever. So I'm curious, when when did living and working on your own terms become part of the core values? We wrote that down as soon as we started really defining the values. I think we did that on our first uh, retreat, which was barely a retreat. There were three of us and two of us were co-founders. So that was kind of the first time we got together. The third person was Lauren, who's on our concierge team. And that was kind of our first attempt to to quantify, like, what are we doing here? And what do what do we want to build? What do we want to do, do more of? And like you alluded to, we had kind of stumbled our way into working remotely. My co-founder and I were living in different cities when we started, and we were doing this on the side. So we started uh, working remotely together. But that just felt kind of a, a necessary thing to to start this on the side. We weren't going to drop our whole lives and go all in on it. So we started out that way. We started working with freelancers to get some other stuff done where we didn't have the expertise. Once we finally got around to hiring, the first people we added were, were part-time and were in roles that lent themselves to remote work, like customer service. And so by then, it was something that we'd all kind of gotten used to and and liked and appreciated. And we also had enough kind of other role models by then, buffers and base camps and stuff that we had that we had found and learned about and were following. So we felt like, oh, we can do this. There are other companies. This isn't insane. There are other companies doing this. We can we can quantify this and, and put it down and, and make it official. And then also hopefully use it as a, a recruiting tool, not just because it's a good perk, but also because it's a great perk for a travel company. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I want to get into that. So that's a that's a good transition. How do you attract team members that are aligned with that value of um, of travel and this being a travel product? One of the ways, which uh, I suppose is uh, obvious, though, I don't always see other companies doing it, but one is just recruiting our customers or trying to hire existing customers. So we had that idea the first when we hired Lauren, who was our first uh, concierge customer service person. And the idea was, well, we want someone who will like know and understand the product, understand the ethos of the company and be able to convey that. And of course, it's on me to like teach them all that stuff and train them. But if someone already owned the product and felt like a, an evangelist of it, even if it's just among their friends, not doing anything crazy... That's exactly the sort of person we want helping other customers. Like they've already been through this. They understand their concerns. So we start there and we've continued doing that both with that specific role and across the rest of our roles, right? I would rather uh, 
rather start there and open it up to customers. And even if it's a really specialized role, and maybe we have some customers who, who are qualified, but maybe they have some friends, but because they've been following the company, they know we're doing some cool stuff and would love to refer a friend. So we start there, and then we've got a couple other levels that we do that at. So we have a also have a, an email list on our jobs page. So if someone's just checking out the company and thinks we look cool, they can they can get on that list. And of course, we list jobs on a lot of their remote job boards. So we try to try to be in the places where people who are thinking about this stuff or care about it could be. And then the other one is we just make it a real part of the the hiring process. This is a, an important part of our culture, both working remotely, you have to be able to thrive in that environment, and also caring about travel. That's like what we do all day. Those are those are the problems we solve. Those are the customers that we serve. So care about travel, then you're probably not going to be excited to be at Tortuga. So we just make that a real part of the hiring process. We have a whole separate interview for kind of a value alignment, cultural fit, and we just make that part of the the scorecard for hiring. So rather than just saying like, all right, who's qualified and seems cool, like you'd want to hang out with them or have a beer. We have uh, one interview that's really around skills and experience where we check for that stuff. And then we just have a whole separate one around that uh, value alignment. And if we think they can succeed in working remotely and we give those things basically equal weight, the being, being able to do the job is, uh, I always say it's like necessary, but not sufficient. I think we can always find more people who could technically do the job than would be a good fit doing that job at Tortuga, I think is a much, much smaller group. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it goes back to the human element you're trying to bring in, right? Not just who's technically qualified, but who aligns well with, with what we're building and, and the product that we have and everyone that already works here and our customers. And I think that's a good lesson for anyone, even if you're building a, a software product, whatever the product is, like just hiring people that understand the product, because in some way, that's like a baseline of they understand the mission we're doing and they align with it in some way, right? Yeah, exactly. And if you've been a customer or just kind of following what we do online, because I don't know, maybe you don't travel as much or you use a suitcase or whatever, but you think the mission and the way we work and stuff is is noteworthy, then that's that's who we want to talk to first. We've definitely had a lot of people who not everyone is whatever passionate about backpacks or something or a former customer. But once we uh, get into the interview process or they even look at our job listings where we have a lot of a lot of this context to kind of teach people how how we operate and try to attract the right people and turn away the wrong ones. Once people get into that, a lot of people also just like feel really strongly about the mission of like how we work. So that's kind of an, an extra part of it. An interest in travel, like I said, is important, but sometimes it's equaled or even outweighed by just like a passion about making work uh, work a little better and, and being in that environment. We've definitely had a lot of people who came, who started at Tortuga after a previous job getting like burnt out or just having a horrible workplace experience and like seeing that light and realizing there's got to be something better. Like I can't do this for another 30, 40 years of my life. And then they're just like excited to find that there are not just our company, but other remote companies, other companies thinking about the culture and, and how they want to work together. And people get really, get really excited once they realize that there is like, there is a better way that they could be working. So I know you do the retreats. What else do you do maybe more regularly that allows you to maintain that, that culture? It's definitely the challenge, right? For a remote team. 
We have a couple other times or occasions where at least some of the team uh, gets together. So anything in person certainly helps and builds on that. And I think that's regardless of whether or not you're doing any work on this. So some of ours are around uh, trade shows or things like that. But I think what matters is just like spending time in person with with these folks. And you'll be talking about work sometimes. You'll be goofing around other times. You'll be sharing a meal that you remember. And uh, I think that's what's what's so important, what you miss out having an office. It also creates kind of a cool opportunity for us because in some offices, if you spend all day with these people, even if you like them, then like that's enough. You know, you don't also want to go out to to dinner or drinks with them. I've certainly experienced that in my past where eight to ten hours is enough. I you just want to go home after versus we're in a situation where every time we get together, everyone's like really excited to spend time together and see each other. And we're often sharing a big Airbnb. So you're kind of around everybody 24 seven to some degree. So ends up being a good, good bonding time. The everything other than in person, I think is, is one of the biggest challenges for us. So we do what a, a lot of other companies do. We have, we have Slack where we talk, that's kind of our water cooler. People pop in and out during the day, but yeah, I, uh, that certainly is something that's, that's on my mind in terms of like, how can I keep adding to to this camaraderie and culture and everything? Like, I think we've done well so far, but the more touch points we can add, at least up to some point, we're probably going to just get better and better returns from each one. Yeah, I like that. I'll, I'll bring up something for our listeners again and for you um, that Mary Hartberg mentioned they do at Close.io, which is, I don't know if it was weekly or biweekly chats with uh, team members. And these were just like three-person roundtables where you just talk about anything but work for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, just to like engage. And, and maybe that makes sense depending on the size of the team more, more so than others. But I thought that was a, an interesting piece that I'll, I'll just bring back up. So kind of the elephant in the room for probably a lot of listeners. Can you walk us through how product design works without an office to workshop designs and prototype ideas and, and these type of things? Yeah, we are uh, we are definitely making it up as we go, and are have had to have had to accept that as as a fact. I don't know of many, maybe any other companies that are making physical products but doing it remotely. So that's certainly one of our our biggest challenges. So a lot of the process we do totally remotely with through weekly calls and and some work in between, and that could be anything from generating ideas, reviewing sketches or concepts, going over data from surveys, things like that. A lot of that we can do do remotely with a Slack call. The really challenging part is once we get into sampling, or sometimes even before that, if we're reviewing like what materials to use or some new hardware or something like that. So some stuff is, it's really hard to do remotely and you need to, you need to see the thing particularly with soft goods, which is the category you describe bags in because, you know, it's one thing to draw something and then it's different to to see how it looks in real life, pack it up, see what you can fit, see how the shape is versus hard good, like I've got a Nalgene bottle on, on my desk right now and the way that looks in the sketch is pretty much how it's going to come out because it's a... Uh, it is a set structure versus a, a bag kind of moves and flows a little bit closer to, to clothing. So we've done what we can to to get around this. So one of the things we do, for example, which this probably sounds kind of very silly, but when we get some samples from our factory, 
Julia, our production manager there, she'll she'll make all of her notes on the sample. What's working, what's not, which, which ideas she uh, thinks will work and vice versa. And then we'll kind of mail it around to each member of the team. So we often have samples going from China to California, then over to the East Coast and around three to five team members, something like that, which seems like very silly and really slows down the process, of course, but uh, it's one of the better ways we found to uh, to make it work in between times we're together in person. So that means we get to spend a lot of extra money on uh, FedEx and USPS <laughs> instead of on an office, but it's just kind of how we give everyone some in-person time with the products, which is just really necessary in those in-between stages. So you know, it's one thing that we all talk about, like, what's the goal for the product? What features do we need? And then at the very end, of course, there's some small details that our designer will will catch and work out with the factory. But in between is the time when everyone really needs to see the different samples and concepts. So we either mail those around, as, as odd as that may sound, or we try to kind of put them together and hold them for a time we'll be in person. So, for example, we go to a trade show called Outdoor Retailer every year, which is for the outdoor industry, but kind of relates to us. So we've got most of our product team goes to that show. So that ends up being a time where if we have something to review, we can uh, we can bring it there. But we've also lost some stuff in transit trying to do that. So even when we try to do it right and do stuff in person, we run into some problems. So, yeah, it's it's a challenge, but uh by being part of our, our audience and being a group of people who work remotely and consequently get to travel a lot, hopefully that trade-off is worth it because we get to like really be in our customer's shoes and experience the same problems they do and then then try to solve them for them. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I almost imagine that it's more efficient with uh, just overall time put into it, even with having to mail it and all that stuff because you're not sitting in meetings where maybe one person's talking at a time and everyone else is just kind of thinking or daydreaming sometimes like it seems like this might be a more efficient process even if it takes uh, overall a longer duration we try to counter that a little bit by having a lot of stuff in the pipeline so for spending whatever two or three weeks sending these samples around giving each person a few days with them to, to test them out and put them through the paces then we've also got something else that we can be talking about and we're not just the rest of the team isn't just sitting on their hands for that whole time so we try to counter it that way and there's going to be some stuff that like is just going to be harder or impossible in a remote team like we're not sitting around in the in the design studio and looking at all this together and debating it or sitting around just spending half a day brainstorming or whatever and maybe we'll lose out on a couple ideas that way but it's the there's something about core values that once you put them down, you kind of say like, this is really important to us. And even if sometimes it means we're going to have some downside to it, like making less money or growing slower, or whatever the whatever the downside is, you're willing to accept that because something is part of your core values and you don't want to break it. So that's kind of how I how I think about this. It makes it harder for us. We're probably going to lose out on some percentage of the idea generation process or whatever, but overall, it's the right decision for us. So we uh, we kind of accept and decide we're going to live with those shortcomings and then try to make the best of what our strengths are instead of trying to constantly worrying about those shortcomings and trying to mitigate them, which then you're just trying to you'll drive yourself crazy doing that. And you know you're trying to be like everyone else versus saying like, Hey, we're just going to accept we're we're going to be ten percent worse at this, 
but we think we can be 30% better at something else if we if we lean into our advantages, which we certainly have versus a lot of the a lot of legacy companies and luggage. Right. Yeah. It seems to be a recurring mindset where it's constantly focusing on, you know, what you want out of it and, and asking those Simon Sinek why questions instead of always worrying about, you know, what's common or, or what has traditionally been done. And as we kind of wrap up here, what's maybe the one piece of advice you'd give someone starting a physical product company from something that you've learned? We made, I always like to say that we made every mistake possible and everything that we learned was through, uh, through trial and error. So I guess one of the big ones for me in the early days, and this will sound funny coming from a, a remote company, but I would say to show up in person, I think a lot of people try to like do this whole process, create a product, et cetera, and do it all all remotely or never show up at a factory. And I think that is to everyone's detriment because it makes it harder for the factory to do their job, makes it harder for you to understand the process and create something really good with them. And also showing up a person just lets them know you're serious because physical products are really exploding, whether it's direct to consumer brands or Amazon companies. So there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs out there. There's some people who are really serious and going to make it work. So you need to do everything you can to kind of stand out and, and get that good relationship with the factory. I do think there are a lot of companies now that are, they have an okay product, but are like, really great at all the marketing around it. And, but uh, we're always like, I don't know, we're a very product first company. We started because I needed this product and we, our designer Patrick is really, uh, really product oriented and we're always trying to solve problems. Those are the products and, and things that have worked best for us. So I am kind of a firm believer in like, if you have a really great product and it truly does solve a problem that people have, then everything else is going to, going to be much easier for you. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you, uh, dropping that knowledge bomb and, and sharing all the good uh, tidbits with us today. And I'll have to link to some of these blog posts that we've kind of mentioned or gotten tips from, because there's some cool stuff out there that you've written about. And then I guess just one last thing I'll mention, or maybe you can talk about is the recycled water bottle fabric that you're using to make this backpack. Is that out on the market yet? Or is it coming sooner? Or what's the deal with that sustainable design? It is in in some of our products. So we've been kind of slowly transitioning some of the materials that we used back in the day to recycled versions. Usually in, in polyesters is uh, what you see if something is a recycled fabric. So a couple of years ago, we switched all of the lining fabric in our bags over to recycled. And then we just launched the first products where the the body fabric, the main fabric of the bag that you think of, is made out of those recycled water bottles. So you can see that in the the set out backpack, uh, especially in the black and blue colors or black and navy colors. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we looked at the stuff when we redesigned all of our products in 2016, but the, the availability and the price and stuff wasn't quite there yet, but there's been sort of this explosion in the last few years of uh, companies doing, doing recycled materials and vendors selling this stuff. The prices come down, so it's like much closer than than non-recycled and we're not an eco first or you know really uh green oriented brand or anything but when we can do it we're still trying to like do the right thing as much as we can and want our customers to feel like they don't have to worry about every detail or the specs on how recycled something is or whatever but just like trust that we're going to do the right thing as much as is possible and you know now the now the materials are getting there so yeah we're doing more and more uh recycled stuff and we'll have some more products we'll we'll roll those materials out too nice very cool well fred thanks again for chatting with us today and taking the time i appreciate you 
Yeah, no problem. Thank you for, for having me. Our guests on the podcast bring up some amazing thoughts on remote culture. How do they keep remote culture from becoming stale and distant when the team isn't physically present day by day? Most, if not all of them, are leveraging in-person offsites. Get your employees out of the office and get ready for an experience that will give you a boost of team spirit. Head to thesurfoffice.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the show to stay up to date with the latest conversations around the future of work. We'll be back with a brand new guest and some fresh ideas in a couple of weeks. Until soon.